0: There's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you. We were both 16 and it felt so right. Sleeping all day, staying up all night.
1: What exactly is considered a success or a failure anymore? What are the criteria that a project, a company, or a band for that matter must reach in order to be considered still viable? In the entertainment industry, a lot of that depends on who you know and how well you're liked, and not always upon how many units or tickets or Nielsen points you achieved with your latest effort. Yellow Cart's 27-year-old lead singer and guitarist Ryan Key is all too familiar with everything the entertainment industry does and doesn't have to offer, and how all of that can sometimes provide just enough kerosene to ignite one's own simmering forest fire. After selling more than 2 million records with their 2003 release Ocean Avenue, and reaching number 37 in the top 100 Billboard singles chart, Yellow Card became, almost overnight, MTV and TRL favorites and advertisement pitchmen. It became one of the few acts to cross over into pop-punk-ish stardom out of the Warped Tour generation, and were officially labeled by just about everyone as a success. Born out of Jacksonville, Florida 10 years ago, it consisting of lead singer and guitarist Key, Sean Mackin on violin and vocals, Peter Mosley on bass and vocals, launched new Parsons on drums and Ryan Mendes on guitar and vocals, the band released their follow-up record, 2006 Lights & Sound, a pseudo-concept CD recorded in New York while burnout from living within the LA scene and 18 months of straight touring. The record ended up selling over a million copies worldwide, but was still considered by many as somewhat of a failure, even though, due to illegal downloading, very few records ever reached the million-unit mark anymore. Key in the meantime suffered from his own successes and failures within himself as mounting stress caused by industry expectations and a critical press and message board universe took a toll on him. After a seven-month break, the band returned to the stage in late March of this year, announcing that their next record, Paper Walls, would be released this summer. Rejuvenated and now at peace with himself, Key now embraces whatever the future may bring to his band as well as to his personal life. Speaking with him, you get the sense that he has a solid sense of clarity now, for as he describes here in our interview, he had to literally unplug to hear what was really going on around him. The new yellow card record, Paper Walls, hits the music racks on July 17th, and the band considers this their strongest work yet. We begin our conversation with Key, who's a huge Star Wars fan and would-be actor, by talking about one of his favorite subjects, movies. Spider-Man 3, what'd you think? I almost walked out. Really? You're the second person that's told me that.
2: Yeah, it was one of the most disappointing moments I can remember in, in recent years. Yeah um it was it was because of they 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 morphed the the two characters together with uh they just didn't tell the story right I mean yeah, you know yeah, as yeah. a as a fan of of Spider-Man for many many years I knew that they weren't going to be able to tell um the the whole the whole story of how Venom came to be because right. you know in the original story Spider-Man was on another planet with Fantastic Four and and Thor and all, all you know every other um Marvel comic uh, character in existence, and they were, you know, fighting this intergalactic battle, and um, this the suit, the symbiote suit, like got on him there, and mm-hmm. he brought it back to Earth with him. And the, the first f- 10 minutes of the movie, when the meteor hit the ground right, and, and then it, it climbed out of, it, I, of the, yeah. it, yeah, I just, knew, I knew I was in for a horrible, horrible experience. It's
1: probably about the time when you start slouching in your chair already. Well, right? yeah, <laughs> and I was
2: in like, I was somewhere, we were in like, uh, we, were, we were in Connecticut, I think, and it was a show night night before a show day. And we went to like the midnight showing on uh, Thursday night, you know, I mean, I was just rock. And I, I made everyone go with me. I bought 10 <laughs> tickets for the whole band, the whole crew. And they're all like, if this sucks, man, it's all coming down on you. You know I mean? There were other guys that were excited to see it too, but, but none as much as me, I don't think. And it was so bad. I mean, we it was, I don't know. I, and it was the most expensive movie ever to made, be, wasn't you know, it? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, more than Titanic. Three hundred million, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I and uh, I try not to, you know. I don't want to be a shit talker. No. Right. No. Sure. Right. But uh, you know, you're a fan I, right now. You're a movie. But I'm. Fan. Yeah, I'm a movie fan. So I guess I'm. You know, if I write a song and people don't like, I guess this is what they say. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I just, I was just, I was just really disappointed. I was really disappointed. I. I honestly had a lot of trouble when when we actually got to the when we finally got to the Venom section of the movie, which was the last ten minutes, and that was yeah. the whole reason I was going to see it. You know, uh, Topher Grace was playing Eddie Brock, and every time the suit would open up and 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 uh, Topher's face would come out, I, I was kind of like Eric. You know, like what <laughs> what are you doing? Wait, where's Fez? You know what I mean? Like, what do you got? What's you know what I'm saying? I, I it didn't. So, uh, not that Topher Grace didn't even play the, the part well, and and I guess that's rough. That's probably rough for him, you know, to be pigeonholed into, to yeah, the character he played for so long. But still, it was just stereotyped. It was, man, it was hard to stomach, man. And you know, I wanted like the badass Eddie Brock from the comic books, that everybody, you know, like the suave, like cool dude, which is why Venom was the way it was. I don't know. So in comparative, then, what about the Superman series? Uh, I really enjoyed Superman Returns it, a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, my my biggest thing with that, if I was to be at all critical, would be um, I, I actually thought I was going to get more out of Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor than I got, but I think um, Brandon, the kid that played played um, you Superman, it. was yeah. really good. How would
1: you rate him to compare to Christopher Reeve, what he did?
2: I don't think you can compare the two. It's been too really? long. That's good. It's like a Bond it's, thing. It's been too long. Yeah. yeah. It's a Bond yeah, thing. A bond thing. And, and, what about
1: James Bond? How did you think of that one? Casino Royale? I
2: haven't seen Casino Royale. You didn't see Casino no, Royale? No, I haven't seen it. Everyone says it's... I've had a lot of people tell me it's the best one ever, and I'm not like a huge Bond guy. I mean, okay. I don't dislike them, but I don't, like, celebrate the catalog, you know what I mean? Okay,
1: and one last one on this, because I, I know you're, like, a sci-fi, fantasy nut in the movies. Yeah. Uh, what about the Batman series? How they've taken oh,
2: it? dude. Uh, and and I... Um, this is my, it's yep. my, my last piece of my arm here. Oh, is, right. Uh, all right, cool. It's my little Batman section. Um, and uh, I, I definitely got out of the... of really loving the films when Schumacher took over and... Mm. and Val Kilmer and George Clooney, it right. was, you know. It's funny, and I like George Clooney as an actor because he's the first guy to, to admit, like, I don't know what I was doing playing Batman, you know. <laughs> he's like, I was really cool when I first got it, but then I realized- He's very like, humble. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's very so, humble. But, you know, it just, I mean, it, it I understand where the direction was going, like making it very much more comic book, um, you know, all the, with, with, with like the colors and the and the real over-stylized characters and things that they did after um, after Batman Returns. But, uh, I think that the new, the the you know, Christian Bale version is Batman. I, Michael Keaton was amazing, and that. I love Tim Burton. Too, and yeah. Any Tim Burton Danny Elfman combo, I'm there. You right, know. right, It's not even, you can't even be cool saying that anymore. They're too huge. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm still there. I love it. <laughs> but most things mainstream, if they're cool, I'm there. I'm that guy. I, I have no shame. Um, but anyways, uh, I I um I think Christian Bale, that is Batman. That is the Dark Knight. That is, I mean. You know the the i i was really into um one of the series uh one, one of the batman books called hush mm. um which i heard of it but I'm not familiar yeah with it. it came out when i was in high school and it was like just this really creepy story of this villain that came to gotham and he could like um talk to he could get in your brain like kind of telepathically or whatever and so he was bringing up all these super dark memories for batman and kind of turning him into a bad guy and you know, but like, or even the Arkham Asylum books, or the Dark Knight books, all that. He was like a Batman was a. Can I say fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know for it. Hey, Batman not? was a fucked up dude. Bruce Wayne was a fucked up, tormented, like. You know, guy that was really struggling with with the dark places in his life, and it's
1: like a lot of that. Uh, like it's you know, it's kind of like the, the you know the uh, the Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it's like they always kind of turn into this innocent sort of thing, but we really get into it, it's like this stuff was pretty yeah morose at times. <laughs> totally,
2: and I I like the the story that they that they the kind of Dark Knight story they're following with with Batman Begins, and now you know the Dark Knight coming um, next. I think the whole exodus to find himself and all you know actually showing like. How he became, you know, you never got that with, with the first movies, and I, I, I think it was, uh, it was a very credible montage, because uh, montages can go wrong. Well, it seems like they're of, not writing of movies. Becoming Batman.
1: They're not writing these movies by committee, and I think that's how. Right, you know, they're allowing yeah.
2: like one or two writers
1: just to kind of keep it true to the what the original version they got, and they're filming that version.
2: Right, and I, well, I and I also think Christian Bale is not the kind of actor that comes in and just says yeah I'll do what I-. he's very he's, personality. he's very involved in the yeah. in the pro- in the yeah, progress yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think yeah. you know what yeah. I mean or, Did I say progress I meant process not progress <laughs> but both whatever but he's very involved I think you know he's really hands on probably from conception to finish right so I think the new one's going to be absolutely incredible I, I am I'm am personally excited about Heath Ledger playing the Joker mm. I think he's totally yeah. capable oh, and yeah, I yeah. think and I've heard really good things just you know in Hollywood you hear things around of people who saw saw clips here and there and um, supposedly he did an amazing job, so I'm really excited for the new one.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I just had to ask you about that, because I, I... Oh, yeah. You know? I, I love it. That's good. You know?
2: And, and I imagine...
1: Are you... Uh, um, are you are you one of the guys that wishes that uh, uh, Lucas hadn't touched up the Star Wars movies? Yes.
2: Yeah. I am. Um... I don't have any original theories on that. I have, I have, the, I have the same ones everybody you else has. just didn't like it. That's I have good. the same ones everybody else has. He has he has kids, he, you know, he, you know, he's not the same. He's not the same. It's it's like being in a band making a record. You know, there's going to be people who don't like your new work because your life has changed and you're not going to write the same record right. 3 times in a row. All right, now there we go. Now so, there's
1: there's a good question. There's a good question because I talk about this a lot with people. Um what do you think when does a band have control over their sound versus allowing their fans to control their sound. It's like we we got the uh, the mm-hmm. new MXPX record in the office. And cur- and right off the the bat the debate was, well does it sound like MXPX? And so from a fan's perspective, we're sitting there going, well are they giving us what they want what we want? Right. And so how do you deal with that as a as a band that you're trying to evolve and mature and grow and you're getting changed by your life experiences and things so like now I want to do this, I want to sound like this? Maybe I got into bluegrass and now I want to throw that in there. And yep. you know, stuff like that. So how do you kind of like balance that out between giving the audience what they want versus what you want? Should we go back to the comic
2: no, books? It's fine. <laughs> uh, it's just a it's a it's a heavy. I'm sorry. I know a bit of a segue, but uh I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I did I, did we as a band make a choice um on our new record to focus more on not proving something with our music, you know? Like not proving that we knew how to write a rock song that maybe just writing a record and throwing it out there because that's what we did the first time. Um yeah maybe we did a little bit you know like uh lights and sound i mean if you want to use my band as a prime example we we have a couple of indie releases that got you know started started the buzz about the band we got signed we wrote this record called ocean avenue very um very naively is naively a word with much with much naivety shakespeare made up with much yeah with much naivety maybe that's the way to say it uh you know just writing a record and then all of a sudden two years later it's uh, you know pushing past a million and a half records sold and and then, long story short, um, you find out every dream you searched out to try and follow isn't every, anything that you expected it to be. You fall into this deep black hole of, of identity crisis and self-indulgence. You start doing drugs for the first time in your life, and you write a whole record about what that experience is. And do your fans who loved your I'm leaving home and following my dreams record love your I'm struggling with, with substance abuse and pushing the limits of my own you know, personal experiences farther than ever as much probably not you know what i mean um and then you come out of that you know i've been calling it the the, the black hole kind of that, that you fall into um or that i fell into we fell into i don't know um you'd have to interview each of us individually probably to find <laughs> out what that really was for all of us but you come out of that and i for the first time in my life making this new record have, have really um i don't know i really sort of Figured a lot of things out about myself, and 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 I learned a lot of. I learned to have a lot more confidence in what I do, and I I learned a little bit that finally going through all. Oh, sorry, f- finally going through all that stuff we went. You know, all that insane experience we had um, that we never thought we were gonna have, and and taking it as far to the top as you could, and then kind of like personally falling to the bottom as far as you'd ever fallen, and and doing all that. I mean it was a hell of a ride and it was a, it was a true life experience that, you know, and finally coming out of that. And for the first time being comfortable in your own skin and making, I mean, cause really that's what it comes down to is all that time you're, you're, after your band gets huge and then, um, and, and then you do the record that, you know, that, that talks about the struggles of being huge. Like you, you have a lot of issues. I had a lot of issues with self-esteem and confidence and am I, you know, am I cool? Do people think we're cool? Do people, you know, what do the cred police have to say? What a But then when you come out of all that and you realize how trivial all that is and how lucky you are to be doing this in the first place, you get real comfortable in your skin. And you get real confident what you're doing. Then you make a record. And I think your fans, I think then you are making a record for both you and them. I think when you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When, so... So I don't know I don't I mean I think there are it to each his own to each band their own I mean some bands absolutely strictly regiment like well this is the style of song we play and this is you know we knew uh, it's printed everywhere when we wrote lights and sounds that a lot of our fans are probably going to be kind of put you know um, or alienated or mm-hmm. or disgruntled by what was happening with with the music uh, but when, when we didn't and when, by the time we had finished the record we just kind of realized that was what was happening so I think every record has to be different. My favorite bands are are bands like Weezer and Radiohead and and Green Day who didn't ever make the same record twice you know and um, I think if you have the if you have an open mind to to grow and, and change with the music that you love you're the best kind of fan of music. I think if you expect to hear the same thing twice then you're not a very good fan of music. It
1: probably, it probably helps too when you have a support group around you, whether it's your label or whether it's your
2: friends or your managers and stuff like that that are allowing you to fail, yeah. allow you to
1: take those chances. Yeah, sure.
2: You and know? they did. Um, You know, there could have been that, that whole experience could have gone very differently. Ocean Avenue finishes all of a sudden, and they weren't. They were very uninvolved in the writing and recording of Ocean Avenue, also because we were kind of a baby band and mm-hmm. just wanted to see what we could do. And then it did. it. They could have come in and. You know, been in the studio every day and and been executive producing and you know none of that. They really just did let us run. They with could. It. Have and Spider then, Man three'd it. All, absolutely. <laughs> but then also, you know, when when uh and this has been an issue. You know, oh well, it didn't sell as many. And a lot of people want to talk about that. And I say that's well, the box office well, crowd. Totally. And you know, well, and I say and I say well, when you talk about that, you know, lights and sounds versus Ocean Avenue. I like to look at it as as levels of success, not levels of failure, because, you know, we still sold four hundred something thousand records and. I'm a kid from Florida that, that, you know, grew up playing music with my best friends. And if you're going to, you're going to tell me I failed by selling 400,000 records and fuck you, you know, and the record label though, you know, has a bottom line and going from 2 million to 400,000, mm-hmm. you know, I think they may be more prone to use words like, um, like failure, not because they're bad people, but because they, they are right, a sure. business they have to right, run. Exactly. And so they could have come in on the, on paper walls our new record and said, you know, well, we got to gotta get back on track and we got and again they didn't i think they really trusted the band to go and that everything was going to happen the right way and we were going to move in the in the direction we needed to move in
1: do you you were going to be an actor from what i've read and heard yes about you. That, w- that was that was the younger. original plan it was original i was going to be a film director so i'm with you on that one um so so there obviously you're an artist uh, not only just for a musician but you think like an artist you create mm-hmm. like an artist everything and the and and there's, a, there's always been that, a lot of discussion about whether or not artists are subconsciously self-destructive so that when they kind of when they're like success fear so when things are going right for whatever reason they they self-implode and they just implode and they and so everything falls down to the toilet and they got to build themselves back up again because that's really where the challenge is it's sure. the fight it's the building it's the creating against fighting against the odds sure so forth and so you know when you were kind of going through this going through kind of like you know taking that left turn do you kind of feel any of it that was partially that or was it really you were kind of just getting so swarmed wrapped up in that tornado of everything that was going on around between the people saying this and that and then this and the you know the success and the pressures and everything and it just you you just weren't ready for it as a as a, as a
2: person development uh, I think it, I think it's a little bit of both I think really? that that I think I've I've always been I've always been somewhat of an ego maniacal person just by nature because I've, you know, I've always been so passionate about creating things and being an entertainer and being a performer and being an artist. And it's like it's the hardest thing in the world because they they ask you not to have, you know, people don't want to think you have an ego, but yet your job is to talk about yourself all day long. <laughs> you know, you, you you your job is to do interviews and point. and promote yourself all day. So it's not really an ego, and, and and you know, when I say that I'm an ego maniacal, I just mean that like I'm it's perceived
1: negatively. Yeah,
2: not negative, not in a that. negative way. I'm yeah, not, I'm, and, and it can be perceived negative. And there's, I always say, there's such a fine line. And maybe it's not even being ego maniacal, although everyone listening to this is going to argue that <laughs> I am probably. But uh, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You know, um, there you go, and being right. a and so did the ego get the best of me somewhere in there? Absolutely, absolutely. Did, did the whole, I have this grand vision and now I have the opportunity to take it to the place I always wanted to take it. And everything that didn't work, you know, everything I wanted but wasn't happening, I let it just eat me alive, you know? And totally, totally uh, in the words of, uh, I, I don't remember, was it Owen Wilson or Vince Vaughn in Wedding Crush that said, taking a turn to negative town. <laughs> but I took a turn to negative town for sure. Um, and uh, I try and go through now with, without regretting it, you know, because I feel like it's made me a stronger person. i was uh, just gonna ask. It's that. made me a better songwriter. It's made me a um, get, gain a real perspective and focus on on my life and my career, and and it's bound to happen. I, I, you know, there are some artists that are so fortunate to never, never have to really go through um, taking any any left turns, and they still succeed. Right? you know what I mean? Right. They Still, but. I did. Well, at that, least that I, we know of, right? That I know, yeah, totally. Right, you know, you don't you don't get to hear about it, you don't get to see it, you know. But but I did, and or we you know we did as a group to a uh, to a certain extent, and I don't regret it. I think it, it was absolutely essential to the process of growing as a person and becoming an adult, and and shedding a lot of those things of realizing that I I probably was a bit of, of an egomaniac for a lot of my life, um, and only because I was just hyper ambitious, you know. I just want I wanted to take it so as it far necessary. as I could take it. You so, know? so
1: would you tell a band that no,
2: I, I would tell him not band? to be that way. Don't be that way. It's but not the right way. But is that what got you as high as you did? Was because of that? I don't. Th- that. I don't think so. Because I think I'm really lucky that I still get another shot at this. Because I think I did burn a lot of bridges and I did a lot of things, as a lot of us do really? when we become successful. But I, aren't, I don't the, think but aren't I,
1: all those other people trying to eat you alive too? So you kind of have to eat them alive first.
2: But yeah, but that's the wrong way to do it. It's you like know? shark. It's the wrong way to do it. It's, no. it's okay. it, I mean, I think it may come along. With keep your friends close and your enemies close. You know, your friends close, but your enemies closer. Right. Right. Is the right way to do it. Um, there is nothing to be gained from from speaking negatively of of anyone, whether it's an interviewer, another band, a you know. And it's really easy to get caught up in that feeling of, well, this band's bigger than my band, and why? Because we work our ass off, and and you just develop all these you negative end up, getting that like message
1: board it, theory, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: totally. Message exactly. You become like a human message board, and that <laughs> is not the right way to live at all. And and I, you know, I can't lie that I I went through a lot of that that time. I was very confused about who, who we I was, yet everyone was already formulating these opinions of who I was, you know what I'm saying? Like, so at you, a time- so you didn't know what was real, what like, was it? At, Well, I'm saying at the most, the time in your life when you're developing the most, like your early 20s, you're coming yeah. out of high school oh, and yeah, college, sure. and, and you're really figuring out who am I as an adult? What do I stand for? You know, you're not like a, it's not normal. We don't live a normal life. You don't just have your friends and family and that's your community. You have the whole world watching you and everyone Develops and formulates their opinion of who you are. The the so bubble. you're almost reading in a magazine who you are, as opposed to deciding on your own. And I think I got really confused by that. And I was one person one day, and another person the next day. And and at the core of it, though, I I do believe that I'm I'm a good person, and, and I love the people that that support me, and and I love you know I love the people that are important to me, and and I love what we do. And that always was there. You know, it wasn't like I completely lost myself. I just um, I I just got sidetracked. I don't know. I just got, I got distracted and I was very confused. And like you said, it was a whirlwind. It was, you know, and I think even more than becoming like your typical asshole. um, It was like, it's like you can very easily slip into this, this phase of, I just want to be alone. I don't want to come off the bus. I don't want to come out of my house. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't, I'm not being mean. I'm not like physically assaulting anyone or you know verbally assaulting anyone or doing anything mean but people automatically assume because you're in that spotlight oh he must he's an asshole you know because one guy in his band's out here signing autographs and he's not or the guys in the other band the opening band are out here and they're not or whatever i mean it's it's a it's a perception comes reality it's a fascinating way to make a living because it's you know you take someone like my father who is in the car business you know if they don't sell enough cars then they have to make changes to you know they have to fire people or they have to there's there's bottom lines and there's there's clear cut ways to make choices to fix the problems our our cars that we're trying to sell is like pieces of ourselves and if and it has there's like opinions and there's ideals and there's all these you know history uh, there's all these other things involved with purchasing what we're trying to sell you know and we're trying to sell ourselves um, and there's not really a clear-cut bottom line of how to fix that if it's not working, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to go, you know, get off the path and go through what's probably and hopefully will be the deepest, darkest time I'll have to go through in my life and still have the opportunity to, do, to be here talking to you and doing it still, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it could have very easily, I could have very easily chosen another road to go on, um, and, and I chose to kind of back to what you were talking about earlier to come in and, and get back with this band that I love and these guys that I love and make a record that sure, somewhat I'm thinking as we're making it, I really want our fans to be excited about this because I remember what that felt like. I remember before I kind of fell into my, my pit of, of searching out myself, what it felt like at the beginning, early on when the fans were just, that was it, you know, the room lighting up was it. And I've kind of, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that happen again for us. I'd like to experience that. I'd like to experience that without all that baggage. I'd like to go through it with a smile on my face and 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 admit to myself I've taken a lot of things for granted and that I never want to live like that again. And and that's what this record is. Well, now
1: you now you have a filter too. Yeah, you have a filter to kind of keep out the crap. Right, it's like a screen
2: door. Totally. Yeah. And and so I mean that's like probably the best advice I can spell out. You know? So
1: so before we take our first music break, I you you mentioned the lyrics and the songs so the songs on this particular record um how if you could like in a in a, in a very general way how have they developed like how are they how have they matured grown mm. from what you were doing before because of all of these things that this the the incredibly up the up the ladder and then the uh, the whirlwind getting torn around in the tornado you know how how are they different now
2: um I don't know exactly how to describe how the song I, I don't know exactly how to describe how they're different, but I can just describe like what they are, mm. and maybe leave it for interpretation on your own. Well, or, yeah, or right. They're yeah. different, but um, there's a, a strong sense on this record of of um, finding yourself, you know, uh, ending an identity crisis, realizing who you are, re, you know, realizing what the re, what what it is that you want to be, who it is you want to be. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lines, a lot of topics on the record about being exhausted, you know, tired of living one way and wanting to live another way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a lot of focus on uh, not specifically relationship songs, um, in a way that Lights and Sounds was pretty much void of them. And, um, Ocean Avenue had, you know, Only One and, and some songs that were very specifically about, um, falling in and out of love with someone. And a lot of the theme on this record is... Now I've found myself, and I still haven't found anyone else. Um, you know, I'm still I still traverse through this adventure by myself, and I, and I hate that. It's something that I write about a lot now, and and um, not being able to share the experience with anyone. At, you know, as you get older, it's it's frustrating, and especially because the other guys in the band are you know married, engaged at this point, and. I, but I think it's also kind of like my lot in life um, you know it's my place it's where I am in just, order in order to show up every day and, and and fight for us and fight for them and you know I think they I think in you, a way I need to be are alone
1: you, are you committing yourself to being eternally single
2: I, I don't know I we'll, f- we'll see I, I don't want to commit to it you know um I, I'd really actually I'd really like to have uh, you know something like that and, and, and a family you know one day that's something that is important to me It just right now and and for the past five six years, it's it's yellow card. I mean, that's that's my those are my, that's my children. That's my wife. That's my that's everything, for me. And there's a lot of that on the record. There's a lot of like, I know what I have to do now, mm-hmm. but it's it's still it's still a little bit frustrating. That you know, um, I feel but, like I'm going it alone. Well, as it thing. should be
1: to a certain extent, because if it yeah. wasn't a challenge, then there would be no fire in you. Right,
2: but there, there's this there's just this sense of forward looking forward and discovery. I think on on the record, um, like okay, from here on out, what's it gonna be like? Um... I say it, it's kind of like return of the jedi. It's like a It's like the it's like the last chapter in a trilogy. And I don't mean that in a finite way like there's no more <laughs> yellow card records coming. I'm just saying if you take the three records and you look at what each of them meant to 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 us and then what they meant to the fans and I think this is kind of like the story of survival at the at the end of of a of a crazy, you know, crazy ride, crazy road we've been on.
1: So then let's take a let's take a music break and give me um two songs that um Could be any two songs from any bands, Mm -hmm. okay? That um, the lyrics, um, they just mean the most to you, regardless of when you were back on Lobster Records or you were back in Florida or it's right now, that still apply back then as they are, as they would now.
2: Okay. I know. I'm, oh man. Okay. Uh, First, I would say Ben Folds 5 evaporated because and mainly the line I'm sure back home they think I've lost my mind. Um that is one of the first songs in my life I remember really thinking that this song was written about me. Um it's it's pretty high in contention for like all-time favorite song. I don't know. You know it's a random one to be that, but it, it's and, definitely on on the iPod. Yeah, it it gets played a lot. Um, there's there's that's there's it's just got that sense of leaving to go do something that you're the only one that believes in it, you know. Um, and there's a real reference to your his father figure in the song, and I have a, have had a crazy re- relationship with with my own father, and mm. and he's been real important to this whole process for me. Um, so, anyways, I love that song, and then. <sighs> God, I mean, one more, one more song to sum yeah. me up. No, just. I'm uh, not holding you to it.
1: <laughs> um, God, maybe something that. How um, about something that that kind of. When you're feeling a little lost, that maybe kind of helps you, just kind of. Kind of helps you, you know, kinda go, oh yeah, that's
2: what this is all about again. Right. Um I don't want to pick another Ben Fold song.
1: Pick another Ben Fold song. These are your songs. It doesn't matter. Um you you can shake it up on the second song break. (laughs) Ben uh, Fold's great. Yeah, and then do. I
2: mean it's all time for me, you know. Uh I just did a list of like top twenty songs. Did you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah if I had it I would look at it maybe I've got uh, oh there you go then. Yeah, let's do the cheat nope. sheet that's didn't, all for didn't it. get it didn't um, cause I'm trying to think I mean I have like my favorite song like Foo Fighters Hey Johnny Park that okay. song you know I guess yeah, I'll do that one um, lyrically I'm not sure exactly that it's it's what you're you know mm-hmm. it's as intense for me as Evaporated would be um, but if I need a song to remind me why I love rock and roll why I love playing guitar and I love writing music. This is very relevant. That's great. Uh yeah. Hey Johnny Park off the color and the shape by the Foo Fighter. That op- that guitar riff will live in my soul long after I'm gone, you know. Dude, That's that, perfect. So
1: That's perfect. Okay, yeah. great. Let's go let's go hear these. We'll be right back after this. What
0: I've kept with me and what I've thrown away where the hell i've ended up on this glary random day where the things i really cared about just left along the way for being too pent up and proud woke up way too late feeling hung over and old and the sun was shining bright now It's flying high and random, dangling a string. Or slumped over in a vacant room, head on a stranger's knee. I'm sure back home they think I've lost my mind. Here I stand, sad.
1: Welcome back to the AP Podcast. This is Mike Shea, I'm back here with Ryan Key. Um, you know, there's a, there's, we've, we've talked a lot about the phases in the band's growth to date and the challenges that, that you have gone through and, and, uh, and, but you know, when you kind of take all that out, I mean, take out the spotlight, take out the pressures, take out everything else like that, it's, I've always kind of, I've always been more interested in, in what the band experiences, what bands experience uh, just the everyday stuff, the, mm-hmm. the the mundane stuff that the fans never think about, but it's actually probably the more um, ins- inspirational, influential moments during a band's career, and that's what you see on the road. Right. Because you get to see human life in so many, fr- it's not just the backstage thing and the security guys and the roadies and all that no, stuff. I mean, you travel you, the world. Yeah, exactly. You see... Things and you see uh, you you become a um, it's like you're always a, a, like a polaroid camera, and I've just kind of wonder like for you if there have been those moments. I mean, there was a there was a note online that said that you've uh, that the band has played eight hundred shows in three years. I don't know how statistically correct that is, but because uh, it is online. Um, but yeah,
2: that's probably about right. There were a couple really- years where we did three hundred and three hundred to three hundred. 20 or so probably in a row, two years in a row where we did like that.
1: So do you remember anything, um, no matter where in the world it was, uh, that some site, some person that is not connected to the music industry, um, something that just, um, I don't know, you learned something from it. You learned something about yourself. You learned, it just kind of changed you somehow as, a, as an artist or a, as a human being that would then eventually, you know, it would lead to you changing as an artist. Um i think maybe i have
2: a, I have a good story about you know um it's pretty closely related to the band but made you was was a really one of the um most flattering and and overwhelming and shocking really stories that if, that someone that that you that your music had done for someone okay you know um there uh, is a gentleman in Las Vegas, Nevada, by the name of Mike Saka, and his um, his son Justin um, passed away when he was twenty one. Oh wow! And I'm pretty sure if I Mike, if I screw this story up a little bit, it's been a long time since I talked to you, but I'll try and get it close enough so it 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 means what it needs to mean. But um. He, his, his kid was, he, and, and Mike is in his 40s and, and came to us after the fact and at a show and came on the bus and had gotten in touch with us through Joe Namo who was, was our merch guy, now our tour manager. He's kind of all, like an ambassador to the fans. It's been really awesome. He's been with us for a long time. and mm. So Mike got a hold of us through him and came to the show and, and brought some family and friends of, of his sons and, um, and met us after the show to tell us kind of what it had the story. Um, and I remember reading the email that we had gotten that sort of told us the story, but he told it all to us again in person. And his son, um, it had probably, I think it had been about six months. We were touring on ocean Avenue at the time. Um, and his son was on the way to a rock climbing trip with some friends and he called his father and said, dad is, and I guess Mike was having a lot of trouble at work. He was kind of in a real low place and he, and, and And his son were really close and they would go to shows together and stuff. They had actually come to a yellow card show before together and Mm. and things. So he said, Dad, I I think you should go get, you know, you need to go pick up the new yellow card record immediately because there's a song on the record called Life of a Salesman, uh, which is a song that I wrote when my father and I's relationship kind of finally came back to um, a place that was better than you could ever imagine it being and had gone from being worse than you ever thought it could be. Mm. Um... So he said, "Do you need to listen to the song? Because it's just gonna make it's just gonna it'll t- you know it's gonna make you feel better, and it's gonna make you you know because I think some some to the effect of you're gonna be fine." And I found this song. I came across this song, and we like this band, so you should go get the record. So um, Justin left for his rock climbing trip, and his dad. This is the day of. His dad went to to Best Buy and and picked up the record, and was sitting out in. Uh, in his truck listening to the record right then right after he bought it listening to the song and um, the, the uh, police department whoever that, that you know got up to the Justin died that day and, uh, while rock climbing he fell yeah. and died and they discovered that his time of death was within 15-20 minutes of when his dad had purchased the record and was listening to the song in the car and um, Mike came to us and, and amazingly told us this entire story through no tears he was very wow. He was he very, it. very collected, and told us that the album and and that that song in particular was the single reason that he did not follow his his son wherever he went. Um, that you know that we had help, we had literally been a survival tool um, for his life. And I mean, at that point, you realize like exactly what it is. A, and I wish that I almost wish that that story had happened now because it would, would, uh, my, oh, I just, my, my, my mind is so much more clear now. Mm. And I feel like it would have even, as much as it impacted me, then it would hit me even hard. It would have meant even more to me now to experience it because there's so much, there's so many things that I'm not worried about that I was worried about then. And I guess that was my point is a story like that puts into perspective. I don't care what what a magazine thinks about my band mm-hmm. i don't care what some disgruntled kid that you know that thinks we're not punk rock you know thinks because we're not punk rock okay you know you don't think we're punk rock well we're not so you know you realize those things are so you're taking all the fun out of it though so <laughs> <laughs> sorry but those things are so meaningless to compared to um what the reality of the situation is which is that you're Cre- you know this thing you're creating, this music is providing for people something you can barely provide for yourself. You know, sometimes I think. I mean, I write, I write the stuff, and I've never, I've, you know, it's been somewhat of a, of a, a therapy, sure, a, a therapeutic yeah. experience for me to write music in my life. But you know, never in the way that that I think it hits someone like Mike Saka in Las Vegas. So. And that's
1: only the person that you heard from. Yeah. You
2: know, what about all the people that you haven't heard from? Exactly. Yet? Know. So, those those are kind of the, the, I mean, the stories on the road that stand out are are ones like that.
1: I always kind of wonder though. It's like kind of like you know, like when screenwriters sit down and they go, or even comic book people, they sit down. and They want to start going. Go, I want to make something. It's like I, I want to do something for me, but I want to do something that changes things. I want to inspire. I want to make a difference. Da, da. Yeah. So how do you? I, as a as a, as a songwriter, as a member of a, of of a band that's continually trying to evolve in your sound and your music, uh, how do you like keep yourself from kind of overdoing it in that respect? You know, where you kind of like you focus too much more on, well, is this gonna be catchy enough? Is this gonna make an impact enough? Versus something that is more true to yourself from within. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that out? Do you kind of sit there and like put it away for the night and come back to the next morning and go, wow, I was being yeah there's
2: there's a lot of days when we're working me and and out of everyone in the band um it's definitely my place to be the guy that's like this sucks you know this is just let's just start over and then everyone's like oh here he goes again you know um but for the most part you know that'll be after a six hour day of of working and i'm you know i'm a i don't know i'm kind of I'm a freak show, man. There'll be a day where I'm like, just so amped, like this is the best fucking song we've ever written. And then the next day, the same song, we'll play through it a couple times I'll be like, oh, I'm so not into it. You know, and then guys, the, you know, everyone else in Yellow Card, you know, uh, I, I feel hor- I feel sorry for them sometimes that they have to deal with that because at the end of the day, that's what I, you know, I put it away and then come back to it. And when the record is done, um, the you know, the sense of pride and, and happiness that comes over you to say you know wow look what we created it it's it's overwhelming and it's it, it's always good you know have
1: there been many songs that you've that you've kind of had to after you've already recorded them and put them on a record um that for you you just would prefer to put them in the drawer and never open up that drawer again
2: Has uh, there been those
1: kind of regrets any regrets like
2: that yeah, and, and maybe I, maybe this is yeah, because you know you've and, grown since then and yeah just and, like, and I don't you know and here's the thing I don't want to get too I don't want to get too specific with no that I because that. because I because some of those songs for me might be songs that someone that really loves sure loves our band um you know adores those songs and but yeah are there songs that that I look back and say ah oh, man you know I either could have put a different twist on that or or probably could have done something better or you know that, are they there yes but. The, the sort of reinvention of myself mm-hmm. is trying not to um, a few years ago I probably would have I was probably thinking like that all the time mm-hmm. um, and I don't I, you know what I don't it's done. what's done is done. it's on the record and somebody likes it and and we, we're getting to make new records and you keep trying every time and you know I'm really trying to, to take that attitude towards it and 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 not regret what it is that, that we've done. So with that same kind of line of thought, but let's
1: take it Let's take it back onto the stage format now instead of putting it in the drawer let's put it back up on the stage now where you know there's no doubt that as a band really hits that stride and you start getting the million and a half records and stuff you're starting to get the peripheral people the peripheral fans that heard the single they heard mm-hmm. the song on the commercial the vcast commercial maybe sure. they heard this over here in the soundtrack me. right
2: F- fans like me to be right, honest. right okay all right right i'm, I'm so a they, lot like they kind
1: of catch and they go you know what, i want to check out the rest of this So mm-hmm. they go buy the record or they, or they get it off itunes or whatever um and then they come to the show just to hear the one or two songs that, yep. they, that they agree with. And then the next time they see you, they want to hear those songs again. So, But for you as a musician, I was thinking of like, Sinatra hated after a while doing My Way. He couldn't right. stand it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've read stories that, uh, that uh, Sammy Davis Jr. didn't want to do uh, Candyman. He hated the song originally, and right. so you got to figure these guys are going on to Vegas and they're going on tours all the time. And they're playing the same. They got to sing it. They have to sing it. So how do you, if there are those sorts of songs where you're kind of like, you know what, I've moved on from this or this is, I'm past this. How do you go on as a musician every night and play? It's usually the encore songs. where You got, you got to give them what they want. And how do you make a yeah. difference so that you actually enjoy it and you don't come across as a staged Vegas act saying, hey, here's your. Deal. Right. I want to go back and get my foot rubbed.
2: Just, just look out. Uh, you know, look upon them as it's happening. That's it. Like so, let the dude. I mean, the first time we played Ocean Avenue in Sao Paulo, Brazil, at the Mix Festival in front of forty-six thousand people. Need I say more? You know, I don't. I have. I never, ever, ever get up there and think, oh man, we have to play Ocean Avenue again. I am proud of that song. I am proud of the career it's given me. I have no shame that we wrote a three chord pop song and and are able to sustain a career off of it. I don't, you know, I'd like to do, I'd like to have more songs that are as successful as that one, certainly. You know, I would really, I, I hope that a couple of the the songs on our, on our new record um, are able to transcend to that level of success also. Mm-hmm. If they don't, I'm still going to love that song just as much because every time you play that song there is a reason why it it there is a reason why people identified with it the way that they did and not every other song on that record. And when you play it and it it is it, you can't describe, you can't I actually um good good version of of that is uh we we just did bamboozle in New Jersey. Yeah. And we haven't done a show like that um, a, a scene show, so to speak, in a long I thought time.
1: You'd done one before, no?
2: What? I thought you'd done. One yeah, no, but we just game. haven't done a long. T- we, oh, we, a while. We've been Making the a while. record, okay, and we right. didn't right. really I do I just... anything like that on lights and sounds. We didn't do warp tour. We didn't. It's been a long time since we played with brand new and taking back Sunday, and you know Jack's Mannequin and okay. the, the bands, guys our age, do frice You know the bands are doing what we do. All of us kind of came up together at the same time. I hate the scene thing, but whatever.
1: No, it's all it, good. it is
2: it is a scene you cannot deny it it is a it is a group of bands that have all come up doing this thing together and that's why we all play bamboozle together you can't deny it otherwise we wouldn't be on the same show well,
1: well it's a family reunion but
2: yeah Fair so much. anyways but that wasn't the point of the story the point was <laughs> uh, when we got up to play um, our in-ear monitors um, were were there was a big problem with them and and uh, this would have been during during the dark years I, I would have been probably one of the worst shows we have ever played in my life because I just would have been a Fucking Um, case So it would have been worse because you would have made it worse. You know, like what am what am I paying you for? What the f? You know what I mean? That that would have been the attitude. Pulling a buddy rich, right? Totally. But (laughs) but then but that day, you know, there's twenty thousand kids out there. It's time to play. I'm seriously at a point in my life where it's like, you know, okay, fuck it. They don't, you know, they don't work. Like, and you know, I I get it. I've been I've been through what it's like when they don't work and you treat it the wrong and you react the wrong way. So let's react the right way. Pull the in ears out just said throw a shitload of my guitar and my vocal on the floor wedges and we're going to go for it and for the first time in many 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 moons I heard the crowd singing when we played Ocean Avenue because usually I have my in-ear monitors in and we have crowd mics but it's not the same and it's been the first time in probably four years since that song was written and performed that I've really you know um, heard in an organic nothing no no my ears weren't plugged I could hear all you know the place singing and we ch- we totally decided before the show we were gonna I mean this is where we are now we decided we we're gonna play that song last we were, you know what everyone's gonna want everyone's gonna wait the whole show to hear that song let's give them what they want what do we have why, why not what do, why play you know why not why would we not play it or why would we you know play it first just to get it over with. Like it's going to be the most exciting moment of the show. Let's have it, let's enjoy it, let's take it in. And the second that first verse started, dude, there's a place off Ocean Avenue. It was like, it was a wall of sound. I mean, it was the entire place. And it was the first time in a long time I could hear it. And that's it, That's that's the best way to answer the question. So Ocean Avenue became a brand new song in that moment for me, even though I've played it thousands of times.
1: I think it's. I think there's a. a I don't know it's a metaphor. There's something there where you had to unplug your hear, your ears to hear.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I had to take yeah. my monitors out to hear it for real. I
1: mean, yeah. It's it's so. it's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, well, we're gonna take a second uh, music break here, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, and I I just briefly um, name the two songs that you sing along to. Tucson, so you're the fan in the audience and you're singing along.
2: Um there's a Pearl Jam song called Nothing Man mm. that when I was in high school and you know my first love and lost my virginity and all that time of your life and I did my typical thing that I still do today which is get to that point and then just walk away from it. I don't know why I freak what out in a relationship. Yes, yeah, okay. I freak out and I drop it and move on and just totally turn my back on it. Like it's almost like this sense of there's something else out there, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on it or what's something. What's over the hill? Yeah, what's over the hill exactly? What's yeah. on the other side of the fence? And this song is about, um, is kind of about that happening, and about her not wanting you to when when you want to come back, she doesn't want you anymore. And I think it's the best written song. Of, everybody's written that song a thousand times. But I think Pearl Jam "Nothing Man" is the best version of I'm of coming back and not being wanted anymore, um, you know, of ruining a relationship. And then there's they the best line. And I'm thinking actually about getting I have some Weezer lyrics tattooed on me. And if I was ever gonna get any other lyrics on me, uh, uh, tattooed, there's a line in that song that says "Caught a bolt of lightning, cursed the day he let it go," and I just it's always just been like such a huge, huge thing for me that line in that song. Um, so anyways, that I can I drive around just still to this day and that that record came out when I was 17, 16. No, not even. Jesus, that record came out when I was like 14. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I had to have been in ninth grade, so I was 14 15 when that came out. Hmm. And you know, 12 years later I, I still that song I can just I love singing that song. The way it's written, it starts real low and by the end of it he's just full Eddie Vedder wailing at the top of his voice, you know, flat as shit just hanging it out there. So good. Um so that's a good one. That's a great one. That's uh, a great one. And then another song I really sing along to. You know what? I'm just going to I'm going to do it cuz I love this band and I don't care. It doesn't matter. Uh there is no, we'll a see. song on the um self-titled Third Eye Blind record. It also came out when okay. I was like 16. It's one of my all-time favorite records, all-time. Like, hands down, Desert Island record. And the song is called The Background. Okay. And okay. the melody in that song is... Um, I remember when I was in high school and really starting to take music a lot more seriously and learning how to sing harmonies to uh-huh. the records in uh-huh. places where there weren't already harmonies, you know, making up my own. That record as a whole, I would just always just wail, you know, a, a third or a fifth above him <laughs> and sing a harmony through the entire song but but that song uh, that melody um, is just it's really haunting and I think the lyrics of the song are really haunting um you know about someone that you you wish you could have had more with but it's too late because they're gone mm-hmm. and you ne- you don't get to you're never gonna get to tell them how you really feel um, I think that's a it's I think it's an, a beautiful song and, and an incredible record so there you go. Third Eye Blind in the background. We'll be right back after this. ¶¶¶
3: Once divided ¶ Nothing left to subtract ¶ Some words when spoken On his own with thoughts he can't help thinking. Futures above, but in the past he's slow and sinking. God above.
2: Eye Blind is just like a—you love them or hate them. Oh yeah, you know sure. I've had people, like I've had people tell people that I like it, and they're like, "Dude, you're so lame." But it, you know,
1: Panic of the Disco—they uh, got—we got a number of letters uh, from from uh, readers saying they didn't—they just—they they couldn't respect Panic of the Disco because Panic of the Disco loved
2: Third Eye Blind. Really? Yeah. Great. It's so strange. see, it's there you it's go. It's I just so, crucified myself, <laughs> everyone. You like that? No well, unless, fear. No fear here.
1: Only only if you're planning to be the next Panic of the Disco. No, no I'm not. You don't not, have to worry about it. So. I'm not. Who was your worst customer you ever had to deal with at Chili's? Worst Everybody's customer? Everybody's got their worst waiting story. Were you, were you a waiter, first of all? I had heard that you yes. were a waiter. You were a waiter. I was a
2: waiter, but I ended up actually working in the kitchen, working the fryer because... Oh, you got smart. I liked it better back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got overtime and it was, you know...
1: Oh, perfect. So what was the... What, do you, you remember? What was your worst customer that just sat there and you said that this is the reason why I hate the human race? Everybody's got their bad one.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't remember like a specific. I don't remember a specific story. If you got names you work, too. Go ahead. When you work at like a, um, when you work at a, a chain restaurant like that, you <laughs> get that guy every day. <laughs> <You know laughs> true. What I true. Mean? Right. You, the guy that's ribeye is cooked too much or too little it comes in every day, and instead of just saying, "Hey, could you throw this back on the grill?" or "It's a little, it's a little overcooked, man," you know, I'm sorry. I always say I always start by saying, "I hate to," you know. I did this forever. I hate to do this to you, but you know it's just it's a little overcooked or whatever. There's always the guy that wants to make your life a living hell because you personally took his order, went back around the, the sure. you know, around the island in the back and cooked, you know, mashed the steak on the grill and overcooked it and brought it back to him because, you know, they just make your life living hell.
1: Just because you didn't like his eyebrows. Yeah, right? I do
2: remember um, one time I threw a, a fistful of really hot fresh French fries through the window at like the you know the ticket window yeah. at a waitress. Um, and she started crying and I got suspended for a day or two. And
1: was that out of fun or was that? No, it was
2: out of, it was out of, it was the last time I wanted to hear her come by and say, where are my fucking fries? When I had so many tickets in my face, I couldn't even see her through the window. When the fries are ready, the fries are going to be there. I'm not, not making your fries. I'm not choosing to not make the French fries right now. So I finally just said, here's your fucking fries. And I threw them at her and she got real upset. I think they were kind of (laughs) hot. And, but it was like, you know, Saturday night nine o'clock you don't even want to be there at that point dude right? you're you, everybody you know the 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 flat top guy and the salad nacho guy and the fry guys take we've all our tickets are all now merging together because you're hanging them up as fast as you can and it's you know that dude you learn a lot about yourself working that job but i bet you know how to man. cook really well um yeah, Sean is our violin player is totally the Mr. Chef, man. Really? He's, okay, yeah. so he's We're we're, the food we're talking guy. about maybe opening a restaurant together someday if we can and I am going to let him do the menu and I'm going to be like the feng shui guy that makes the oh, restaurant right. cool. Okay. Um <laughs> or, but uh, you know, I worked the fryer. I dropped chicken fingers in grease and served them up, so We all have our talents. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't like creating dishes, you know what I mean?
1: Well, you got to start from somewhere, you know, yeah. so it's all good for you.
2: Um I just had to ask you that because I, I
1: just, you know, it is an important time. It is of an your, important time. Life. You learn a lot about people yeah. for that. So let's let's go back to um, let's talk about that waitress actually for a second because this kind of ties into it because you brought it up previously and I think this is something that I never hear bands talk about and that is um, and it sounds like you're kind of going through this right now but it's this it's it's this burned bridges moment where you're going mm-hmm. back and so when an artist um, as happens to managers too managers have to do this. Where for whatever reason something went wrong and they pissed off
2: a lot of people. They played they played their cards the wrong way, whatever. Um, Which I did, okay. no lie. Okay. There, so there, then, there were a lot of not people not hip to the yellow card thing because I was having a bad day or something, whatever. So
1: I know it sounds it sounds easier than it actually is to do. Mm-hmm. So is there? Is it a matter of just trying to, you know, like you walk into a club or you walk into a scenario and you
2: know everybody there hates your guts because of something that happened three years ago or something. Mm-hmm.
1: So what do you do? You you
2: you don't, um, at least the attitude I've s- sort of been. Are you kind of going in there with your tail in between your legs and you're just. N- no, you just, uh, provided that you're in a better place in your life. Sure. And, well, you, but and you know but you, you made a mistake. You say you are. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. know that you've yeah. made mistakes and you know that you've. All right. You've upset someone or been someone you're not, done something you're not proud of, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, for reasons, and I go back to what I was talking about earlier, for reasons that I feel are were totally out of my control, and I wish I had handled a lot of things right. better, but there were so many things happening to me at, at one time that I really did just lose control um, somewhat. So now when you go in, and, and especially if you know it's a situation that's been bad, you just be yourself, mm-hmm. because like I said, I do know and believe that I am a good person, and, and that there there's a lot of love in me for the people that do support us and support me in my life whether it's my family my friends or the promoter at a club that keeps having us back and if you show up with and just be yourself you don't you don't go and you don't defend yourself and you don't apologize and you don't just be yourself and show them that you're still here and you still believe in what you're doing and the experience this time is better i mean At that point, if you walk away and the person's still holding a grudge or still has an attitude or still feels some sort of negativity towards you, then you're Mm -hmm. the better person at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, because, um, I don't, I don't think that, I think you just have to be yourself. You have to, if, if you're in a better place in your life, you, when you force, when you're, when you're put in a situation like that, face to face with someone, you know, that you've, you've, um, upset or has a negative opinion of you give them a reason not to have that opinion anymore and all you the only way to do that is just be yourself and 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 let them have a good experience with you this time you know um nobody wants to hear about what happened before i I believe that they don't they don't really want to talk about it It, it's Mm -hmm. a much more um lasting experience if you leave the club and that promoter says man you know that guy was so so good to work with this time and that's it then you're good to go You know, and like I said, if they can't forgive you and they can't, they can't find the good in that, then you're the better person because, you know, um, a lot of the things that you do along the way that upset people like that, you don't even realize you're doing them. You know, it's like I said, it's a not getting off the bus because you have a cold and you realize now if I got a cold, I should probably still make an effort to just do everything I can, not everything I can't, which is what I would have done before. You know, not using it as an excuse to do everything I can't, um, so when you, when, you, when you find that, just just be yourself, and, and I think the rest falls into place. So let's talk about some optimism.
1: Uh, let's talk about, because we've talked a lot about, um, you know, being in those dark places and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. being a musician right now, being in a band right now, um, has got to be, from, from the bands I've spoken to, has got to be one of the most um, challenging but yet exciting times. In the music industry's history at this point, because everything changes so fast.
2: Well, everybody's wondering if we are too early for what's coming next, if we're too late, as in, like, we're too old and the younger kids are gonna get it now, you know, the 20 year olds are gonna get what's coming next, or if we are a part of it. That's what everybody's wondering. Did mm-hmm. we miss it? Are we making it? Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's but even because as something, something's it's, changing. Something's, oh, yeah, no, it's huge. We're, we're part of something. Yeah you know, that that's happening and, and you just...
1: So what excites you now with the way technology and, you know, you got between iPods and iTunes and the iPhone and, and then you've got, you know, the uh, uh, internet radio and you've got uh, people that look at this thing, the podcasts, and you've got... Um, uh, the way that even the concert experience is changing, and mm-hmm. and the merchandise, and how bands are starting to control their own careers a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the labels changing their systems, and and some are going away, and some are consolidating, and some are having to innovate for the first time in a very long time. Downsizing is going on, so it it seems real exciting. It's scary as hell, but it's exciting. So yeah. what is it? What out of all of this makes you excited? Like God, this is cool.
2: Right. Um, I think it's a um, a lot of it is absolutely perfectly in tune with everything we've been talking about the 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 path and the journey and the the, Mm -hmm. you know the up and down and back back up again whatever it is um the the melding of of art and commerce um you know that's that is an exciting thing i don't rest on any kind of laurels that say well you know um if too many people listen to our band then we're selling out i don't I've never. I don't subscribe to that okay. mentality. I when I was six years old, I was putting on Michael Jackson concerts in my living room, and <laughs> that's awesome. And I, you know what I'm saying? I I wanted to, I wanted to entertain as many people. I wanted to inspire and entertain as many people as I possibly could. Did my you have whole a whole life. stage? I would like build and make one. You know, like out of like the couch, like sheets and use the flashlights for the lights. Yeah, totally. Oh, All right, And cool. You know, like full on. I mean. It was either that, and then well, and then we went into putting on Def Leppard shows, and then it was Guns N' well, Roses shows. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, as you got older, but, but the okay. first record I ever bought with my own money was Michael Jackson Bad, and and uh, yeah, so yeah. so I was, I, you know, whatever. But I, I was just always moving and singing and doing something, you know. Um, so that said, like, I'm excited to just be a part of it, of whatever's happening, you know. I mean, there's it, it's. We missed example, Yellow Card absolutely missed like the MySpace boat. Ocean Avenue was very pre, Lights and Sounds was during. Like we were writing and recording while everyone else was kind of we're in a weird cycle with a lot of other bands that are that, mm-hmm. that, that you know tour like we tour and play the kind of music we play. I mean, if you play.
1: go to MySpace now you've got all the videos well, out, that's kind of the making and making the vi- and, and of so the now it's yeah. something
2: that you know I'm having to train myself to get involved in, but the results are incredible. I mean the shows that we've played and I don't know if it's because we've been gone for a while and we're coming back now or whatever but the mm-hmm. shows we played over the last couple months just little one-off shows flying out on the weekends have been 1500 2000 people and even you know last summer touring for lights and sounds we were planned for 800 1200 I mean there's a there's a noticeable increase in people coming out to see the band and I have to believe it's because we've been on that website like answering every message and keeping everybody updated we did video updates once a week from the studio yeah. you know I think it really did create um, a, a way to bring back people who maybe didn't come along with lights and sounds without even having to hear any new music. It was just, oh yeah, there's, you know, for whatever reason they didn't come along with the last record, they they were able to realize there's that band, Yellow Card, that I, that I love and remember. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's, it's, it's amazing. It's exciting to see the numbers of like, wow, look at how many people are coming through this website and, and look at how much progress we're making just by, by being proactive and doing mm-hmm. it ourselves. Um, you know, and there's 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 just so many opportunities right now to to be a part of, and and I I've always just I, you know I just want to take this like I want to reach for the stars with this whole thing, and and then be happy with what I get um, this time okay. at least. You know, um, I definitely I can look back and say that I know that I've taken a lot for granted um, throughout this process, and and I definitely don't want to live like that anymore, and so. Whatever you know, whatever opportunities present themselves with new technology or new ways to promote our band, um, very we as a band are very open-minded to mm-hmm. to experiencing that and being a part of it.
1: If your if your label came back to you and said, you know what, um, we're gonna we're changing our business model a little bit. We're gonna start trying something different. Um, we uh, we want to release the next record after this one, digital only. How would you feel about that? Okay. I mean, sure. Why not? So you're not missing? Okay, now, all right. So let's take it to the next level now. Do
2: I miss it? Yeah, sure. But do I understand? Like I said, the okay. the, the sort of melding. Like, do, do I miss the hard copy of the of? Yeah. Do I miss that people don't go out and and I don't and and find happiness in unwrapping the plastic right. and pulling out the the lyrics and Yeah, I do personally. But mm-hmm. I'm 27 years old. I was doing that, Mm -hmm. for the most part, when I was 16, 17 years old, You know, really getting off on buying records. Mm -hmm. 16 and 17-year-old kids now get off on buying records a different way. Mm -hmm. You can make a choice to be angry and disgruntled and old-fashioned at that, or you can make a choice to understand that's the way it is. What do we need to do to be a record they're getting off on? Um, And if that meant releasing a digital record, then so be it. Just to kind of show you how everything's been changing, from the time that you recorded the past record
1: to currently, um, there's, I was discussing this, um, there seems like the whole concept of record release dates, of when you're uh, trying, text messages, I love it, when I have it in vibrate, hmm. um, uh, but the, the whole idea of uh, the big record release date, at midnight tonight, blah, blah, is dead. Yep. And a lot of it's because of the internet. Yep. The, the the leaking of the songs has kind of killed it all. Yep. So how would you feel if... Um, so the theory is, well, why not, instead of just waiting a whole year to give, or a year and a half to give your fans one whole record, why don't you just release a new song every month? Right. Do you think that kind of... I,
2: well, I have a theory that, I, that, okay. that I've come up with, but I'm afraid to say it to anyone ever because I'm afraid someone's going to steal it. All right, well then, all right. Okay, I can respect that, <laughs> but... You know? But it's very much medicine like did that. that right? <laughs> very much like that. Like a like um like a time-release sleeping pill or you know a time-release pain reliever like 12-hour <laughs> cold medicine. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um very much like that. Uh I I think that that could absolutely be uh the way of the future could be the way of the past because when recording music first started you didn't buy albums, you know right. you bought 78s. Yeah, two yeah. songs at a time, one on the front, and one on the back. Right. And um you know that the whole it people get so caught up now on the word single and how you know that's like the ultimate like sellout word It's single. What's your single gonna be? How's your single doing, bro? It Used to be video, right? But now it's single, right? Right. Well, that at its conception, rock and roll music was only singles. You know, I think people. It's like you can bitch all you want about all this stuff, but like it's all we've it's all come and gone and been here and gone away. You know. Like the coolest bands in the world put out singles, and the lamest bands in the world put out singles. You know, like the most punk rock bands in the world have been have have gold records or platinum records, and then the least punk rock bands in the world have. It's like you can't the the judgment in in rock and roll music is just one of the most ruthless emotions on earth, I think, and it's like, um you know I, I think that I think that right now it's pretty much an empty canvas. Um, That that everything is changing. Record companies Mm -hmm. are merging. People are getting fired by the gajillion. You know, like every it's it's an insane time in music. And something has to, you know, Big Bang Theory. Something has to create. Something has to happen. They can't just go away. People aren't going to stop listening to music. You know, and if it comes to a point where everyone stops buying records altogether and no one's making any money playing music, it'll hit ground zero because we'll start getting really shitty music. You know what I mean? because no one's going to be able to focus their entire life on making good music because they're not going to be able to make a living doing it. That's my theory. I mean, at some point it'll it'll reach it'll reach the bottom, you know, it'll zero mass or whatever, you know, it'll it'll uh it'll start over. So, are you optimistic overall
1: being a musician?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it's it's it would take a whole lot to it it would take a whole lot of negativity and a whole a whole string of horrible events for us not to have the opportunity to do this and make a living at it. You know, we've gotten to a place where we can really sustain a career playing music together and and it would it would have to be an earth-shattering event to to stop that. So that in that respect i'm very optimistic because i know even you know right now i just we're about to put out a new record i got another 2 years of my life to experience and and work and make money and and you know i make money doing what i love i mean we're not we're not millionaires by any stretch but we you know we're able to sustain a comfortable lifestyle um doing what we love to do and wh- who isn't that what everyone on earth really wants to do i mean it should be, anyways. Do what you love to do.
1: Final question: Is thirty years old old? Because you know, when you're 20, you say 30 is old, but now you're now you're 28. Yes,
2: I think it is. It's still old. I feel well. I feel like being on the road since I was 19. I kind of get I get two years for every. every okay, okay. Every, everybody's one.
1: <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Uh,
2: I look back. I mean, you know, I look back on on what at 30, which is. Two and a half years from now for me, and I'm sure I. I mean, that's a point where I, okay. it's yeah. a point where you look back and and go, you know, I'm I'm not 21 anymore. Uh, you know, I'm not. We're not riding around in a van. You know, with not a care in the world anymore. It's there's so, for me, it's just the level of responsibility that has come with with passing through my 20s and and coming into 30. I don't feel old. I don't. I don't act old. Um, but, but sometimes you, you fall into realizing how much, how much more responsibility you have in your life and you can't help but but think that you're, I think, I don't think old is the right word, word, adult. I'm, I'm like officially an adult. I am, I am no longer, um, you know, f- I'm no longer figuring out who, who I am. Like I'm, I got it. I'm here. It's, you know, it's time to take on adulthood, um, to its fullest. So I, I, I mean, 30 is a big, it's a landmark, you know, it's. I don't know. High school is definitely gone at that point. You hold on as long as you can. You do, you know. Especially we we didn't go to college. You know, I tried a couple times, but but ended up doing the band thing mostly through through trying to get the band started through when I would have gone to college. So your
1: 10-year reunions next year.
2: Yes, it is. So you, you know, when you don't have college, what, what do you hold? What what youth? You know, what youthful memories do you hold on to? To high school, and and uh, our high school experience was so intense because we went to. You know, we went to Fame. Our school was like the movie Fame. I mean, it was an arts high school. It was like this insane environment of creativity, and it was you where know, where your cliques at a normal school are the football players and the the you know the the computer class guys or whatever. You know what right. I mean? Like the dorks and the and the, the jocks guys. or whatever you want right, to call yeah. it. Like our our cliques were like the visual artists and the dancers and the and the creative <laughs> writers. You know what I mean? It was a really, um, and it was a really eclectic way to grow up and you hold I'm on. sure that you they hold were on just that. as gossipy and bitchy about each other. They, than were, as they were, but <laughs> in such a different way, you know, in such a different yeah. way. And so as you, as you get to 30, more of an we, Oscar Wilde way. yeah, guess, absolutely. Right. It was way more poetic. <laughs> yeah. The clicks were much more poetic about, about bashing each other. Um, so you get to 30 and you realize it's gone. just did it in gone, full sentences you know? with grammar, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I would say that 30 is adulthood, not necessarily old.
1: I think you just scored a lot of points with a lot of 30-year-olds out there right now. The new record is called Paper Walls. It's out July 17th. The MySpace is myspace.com slash yellowcard. And you can go there and you actually hear a couple of the tracks right off the bat. Yes,
2: and you can also still go to yellowcardrock.com, which yeah. band websites are all but dead at this point also. Yeah, it's funny, and that's still there. The whole other discussion. It really still is. still holding on. Um, yeah. and, and actually, if I could say this too while Please. we're here. Um, YCunderdogs.com is our E-team and street team, and and um, we've moved our message board community over there. Um, and I'll say exactly why very plainly, because I believe that um, that it's if you're going to have a community like that it's best if it's a positive environment and it's a place where pro- things are you know productive and fans are talking about a band they like not a band that they don't like and we've always had such a great group of people at, at the yc underdog site that we we put the message board there so you have to be a member to use it and and it's also a way you know a kind of way to say if you want to be a part of that community it, it, you should you know join the street team so swing over there to ycunderdogs.com and um, you know, you get early, it's all that cool. You get early tickets and exclusive merch and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, and you also, you know, you get to hang out with, with real yellow card fans that, that are, you know, supportive of the band. And, and, uh, so anyways, yeah, myspace.com, of yellow card, yellowcardrock.com or ycunderdogs.com. And you won't have to deal with the visual artist click. You won't. You. Right. you certainly won't. Thank you so much for coming in. And yeah, uh
1: you'll be touring all this summer, I imagine?
2: Yes, we're gonna do three weeks on the warp tour. Um we start in Southern California and head across Texas and actually finish in our hometown in Jacksonville is gonna be the last day. It's great, which is really awesome. Great way to do Two it. Two days after the record comes out. It's gonna be really, really fun to be there for that. Um and then the rest of the year right now still is kind of an open book. We're just kinda of waiting to see what falls into place.
1: Best of luck with it. And it sounds like uh just as a person you're you're just you're focused you're centered and you're healthy and that's all that matters thanks man all right take care ap podcasts are recorded at lava room recording studio in cleveland ohio a new york city quality studio at cleveland prices check out www.lavaroomrecording.com for more information on alternative press magazine go to www.altpress.com the podcast engineer is john walsh post-production assistance from rob rotenzi I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, A-P.